Well, let us open our Bibles this morning to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. It feels like we've been in Hebrews chapter 11 for quite a while. Does it feel like that to you? Well, it's because we have. And here we come to verse 31. We've only got a couple of more sermons left here in chapter 11 before we move on to the final two chapters of the book. But let us look together this morning at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 31. If you want to mark your Bibles also in Joshua chapter 2, I'll not be reading the entire text in a sequence, but we will be reverting back to it on a couple of different occasions. You might want to mark those things as we study it together. Uh, Joshua chapter 2 as well as Hebrews chapter 11. Well, let's look together at one verse. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 31 is the verse that we come to. Here's what the Word of God says. By faith, the harlot... The prostitute, Rahab, did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Well, that verse is on the screen, and since it is, let's read it out, read it out loud together, if you would, with me, please, all right? Hebrews eleven thirty one. Ready? Here we go. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe. When she had received the spies with peace. Now, the order of Hebrews chapter 11 is not necessarily in biblical sequence. And I I bring that up because in verse number 30, we saw the faith of Joshua and his people as they obediently followed what seemed to be very peculiar instructions from God, that they were to routinely march around the city walls of Jericho. And as a result of their faith in doing that for seven days straight, that uh, they would receive a victory. The walls would fall and God would give Jericho over uh, to the nation of Israel. And that is exactly what happened. By faith, uh, Joshua led the children of Israel to uh, march around the city walls uh, one time for six days. And then on the seventh day, they marched around the city walls seven times. They blew the trumpets. They shouted a loud shout, and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. But then we move to verse 31, and we read about the story of Rahab. This actually unfolded before the walls of Jericho fell. Now, we've already looked at the walls of Jericho in verse 30. We'll we'll touch on that briefly as we go through verse 31. But, but, But the story of Rahab is parenthetical. It shows us what happened before this whole event in Jericho took place. And and that's what I want you to think about, because the only faith, or rather uh, the the faith that we study here in the children of Israel, Joshua, and the city walls of Jericho, the only faith taking place was not happening that day on the outside of the walls. There was on the inside of Jericho a newly found faith that was growing in the heart of a Gentile woman who happened to be living her life as a prostitute. And it's from her, Rahab, that God wants to teach you and I today about faith, what it is, what it looks like, how it's carried out in our lives. That's right. A prostitute is going to teach us about godly faith today. A prostitute who had an encounter with the grace of God shows us as an example for us to follow what it means to believe God with our whole hearts. Now we meet Rahab in Joshua chapter 2. 
Just to give you again a brief uh, uh, background of what's happening here with her life. After Moses' death, we know that Joshua had been given the responsibility of leading the Israelites, and his primary task was to lead the Israelites in claiming the land that God had promised them. And so as soon as they crossed over the Jordan River into that land, they knew that the very first city that they would have to deal with was the heavily defended city of Jericho. So before Joshua approaches and before God actually says to Joshua how he wants him to go about it, Joshua, in good military strategy, decides to send two spies to scope out the land. It was their job to get a feel for things, if you will, to look especially at Jericho and then to come back and report the news to Joshua so that he could strategize on how to take them. And again, I point out for you that this was what Joshua was planning to do before the angel of the Lord ever appeared to Joshua and said, no, here's how I want you to take the city. So because we know that, we understand that at the forefront, Joshua, again, in good military strategy, good leadership, He's trying to plan a way of attack. You read about it in Joshua chapter 2, the very first verse, verse 1. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men to spy secretly, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And so they went, that is the two spies, and here's the first thing they do. They come to the house of a harlot named Rahab. And the Bible says in Joshua 2, 1, Not only did they come to the house of this prostitute, but they lodged there. Now, as I'm reading this story and it's unfolding in the narrative before me, I don't know if your mind works this way or not, but this is just how it comes to me as I'm studying it. The very first question that comes to my mind in Joshua 2.1 is this. Now, why in the world would these two men choose to spend the night at the house of a prostitute? Of all the places maybe that they could have come to, why did they choose Rahab's house? Why did they go to the residence of a harlot? I did some more study on this and just thinking it through, and I just want to throw out a couple of things to you just to get your own mind turning about this. It's it's believed by some that her residence was not just her isolated home, that it was also used as an inn for traveling merchants, more more like a family business. But we see her family dealt with that when God promises to save Rahab because of her faith, that not only would she be saved, but all in her house, which included her father, brother, and, and family. So there seems to be some kind of family dwelling, this family business. And you'll have to think about inns, uh, hotels, if you will, a, a lot differently than the way that we think about them. I mean, we, we pull off on the exit, and uh, we're in the hotel uh, area, and we have the Marriott, and the Hilton, and the Hampton, and the Holiday Inn, and the Sleep Inn, and the Motel 6, and they're all around us for us to choose. But such was not the case in the Bible. And we looked at that a little bit in the story of Jesus' birth, that when there was no room in the inn, it wasn't that there was no more lights left on at the Motel 6. And they didn't pull up at the Holiday Inn Express, and all 300 rooms were booked. No, these type of inns, they they worked out of people's residences. So you have to think of it more like a a bed and breakfast, an Airbnb. People would do the work of uh, keeping people overnight out of their homes in these extra bedrooms, and that's what serviced as an inn. And that would make sense to me because historians tell us 
that it was traveling merchants that often were the ones who used these residential inns to engage in prostitution. So it could very well be that what we have here is an inn in Jericho owned by Rahab's family whereby these men chose to go to and it just so happened to be that the one who owned it is also notoriously known in town as being the city prostitute, Rahab. Now, the truth is we really don't know for sure. We don't know if this was an inn. We don't know uh, what the circumstances were. All we know is that these two men, the first place they go to is the house of a harlot, Rahab. But don't lose sight of the fact of this either. These men are spies, all right? So, so they're not walking into Israel with big ball caps that say, you know, God bless Israel, all right? They don't want to be known as Israelites. They're not giving their identity away. Uh, so they're, they're going to make decisions along the way that they hope will be uh, 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 unnoticeable to the, to the town around them. It doesn't mean here that by coming to Rahab's house that they had become clients, that they were behaving in a promiscuous manner. The point not to be missed here is that in the providence of God, he arranged this encounter. In God's sovereign purposes, he arranged for the two spies of Israel to come into contact with Rahab the harlot. But the plan of hiding out in the residence of a prostitute didn't work very long. And this is why I believe it was probably also an inn. Because very quickly word got around that uh, two Israelites who had come to Jericho to spy out the land were actually hiding out in Rahab's place. The word got around all the way back to the king of Jericho. So immediately the king sent some of his men over to Rahab's place to find out where these two Israelites were. Now it's at this point in the narrative that it honestly doesn't look good for these two spies. They had come into town incognito, hoping not to be noticed. They go to this inn or the house of Rahab. Somebody around the inn started spreading rumors. Hey, there's two Israelites in town. They're staying at Rahab's place. The king's not going to mess around with that kind of news. So he sends forth his men to go find them. And the reason why he's going to find them is not to sit down and play cards with them. The reason he's going to find them is because he wants to kill them. He wants to take their heads off. So at this point in the narrative, we're not even going to pass verse 2 of Joshua chapter 2, and we're thinking, man, this is bad news for these guys. I mean, they, they need a James Bond to teach them a little bit of spy work. Now, they're not very good at it at all because they're getting ready to die, except, except for one unexpected twist, an unexpected twist that comes from an unlikely place. And the twist is the faith of a prostitute. The faith of a prostitute. The agent, think about this. The agent that God is going to use to save these men is a lady of the night. A woman who sold her body as pleasure to whomever had the cash to give her. That's whom God chose. And that's whom God is going to use to bring an exciting twist to the story. And perhaps some of you are thinking today, you, you look at this list here in Hebrews chapter 11 particularly, and you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses being honored for their faith as examples to us, and, and then God decides to honor a woman named Rahab. 
And he wants you and I to be sure that you know that she's a prostitute. In fact, that's not just mentioned once. It's mentioned in James several times in the Bible when Rahab is mentioned. It gives her that identity marker. It wants you to be absolutely sure that you know who she was, how she lived her life, the sin that she engaged in. She was a prostitute. And then she didn't think anything wrong about it. Some of you are thinking this morning, wait a minute. How did a prostitute get on this list? We're talking about the hall of faith, the hall of fame. Examples for us, models for us. People that God says, look at them and do what they did. And you're telling me a prostitute's on this list? How did she get on the list? How did she get into the kingdom of God? Well, let me ask you, how did you get on the list? How did I get into the kingdom of God? You think God looked down at you and me one day and say, that right there, that right there is a fine young man. He's so polished, so clean. I think I'll take him and add him to my kingdom. You think that's how God operates? No, not at all. In fact, he doesn't come for the righteous. He doesn't come for those who are already cleaned up, got the tie all polished and ready to go. No, that's not who he came for. He came for prostitutes. He came for sinners. Everyone on the list, everyone in the kingdom of God is vile, wretched, depraved, sinful people whom God has chosen in his love to pour out his grace and mercy. And the truth is this morning, until you are ready to admit how undeserving and unworthy you really are, you'll never get on the list. You'll never get into the kingdom. Jesus taught us about that in the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5. The very first quality of one who's in the kingdom is one who is humble, poor in spirit, who actually believes and knows, I don't deserve this. I shouldn't be in God's family. I shouldn't be a part of his covenant. I shouldn't have the freedom of my sins being forgiven. Who am I that God would love me, choose me, save me? And perhaps that's what's keeping some of you out of the kingdom this morning. You have yet to come to the place in your life where you actually see yourself as undeserving, unworthy. God, why would you want someone like me? You see, to look at a prostitute in the hall of faith is not embarrassing. It's fantastic. It's a reminder that God's grace is open to anyone who will receive it. To anyone who will simply believe in Him. It doesn't matter what you've done, how you lived your life, or what you may be caught up in at this moment. God loves you, and He came for you. And if you will believe in Him, He will change your life through the power of His Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that Laurel will be a church full of Rahab. A church full of them. Men and women who know, I don't deserve this. I'm not worthy of this. I'm just thankful for for God's grace on my life. That he looked down and smiled upon me and gave me the message of his love. I'm just glad to be here, amen? Let's be careful before we look at the people God has chosen and cast our eye of judgment on them. 
Because the reason why God chose these people is to show you and I who it is that he actually came for. Rahab. Rahab. What is it that made her life so remarkable to be included in the hall of faith, the hall of fame? Hebrews chapter 11. Three things in, in, in a way of an outline. Number one, the first thing we notice here is that Rahab believed. Rahab believed. She believed by faith, Hebrews eleven thirty one says. Rahab did this. And what did she do? Well, the king's men, you know, they were sent out by the king of Jericho to find him. And when they showed up to Rahab's place, now follow this. Instead of turning them over to the king, she decided to hide them. All right? And not only did she decide to hide them, but she then proceeded to lie about their whereabouts in order to send the king's men on a wild goose chase. She not only lied once, she lied three times. She looked them straight in the eye and said, I don't know who these men are. I didn't know who they were. Well, she did know who they were. Joshua chapter 2 says she immediately recognized them to be Israelites. So lie number one is she looks at the king's men and says, I don't don't know who they were. I don't know where they're from. What do you mean two Israelites? The second thing she said is, I don't know where they're going. Well, she did know why they were there and where they were going. They were there to be spies. The third lie she told is, I don't know where they are. Well, they were on top of a roof. That's exactly where they were. So she lies three times, three times. Now, this is going to throw some of you into a theological loop. I'm fixing to give you something that you're going to have to think about all day, and it's going to bug you. You're not going to be able to enjoy the football games because you're going to try to reconcile all of this. This is why God gave us a brain to think through these things. But I want you to ponder it for a moment. Because it is this action, howbeit, lies, lies, it's this action that the Bible says was an action of faith on her part. Her first act of faith was deception. Her first act of faith was a lie. James, James talks about this in his epistle. Let me read it to you. James chapter 2 and verse 24. He's, he, he's, he's showing us the parallel between faith and works and how faith uh, without works is dead and, and, and faith is proven by our works. And here's, here's what he's saying here, James 2, 24. He says, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. In other words, he's making the point here that true faith is always accompanied by action. True faith is always accompanied by works. Think about it like this, friend. Faith is not a barren intellectual process, all right? That's not what faith is. Faith is not something you just give mental assent to. No, it's something that you believe and are committed to. And that's what James is saying. It's not just some barren intellectual process. No, if your faith is real, it will lead you to action. It will lead you to action, which is a good time to stop and ask ourselves a question. Is the faith that I'm professing today seen by my actions? Because that's what the whole book of James is about. 
Say whatever you want to say about faith. Say whatever you want to say about Jesus being in your heart. The proof is in the pudding, James says. If you're really faithful to God, if you really believe him, if you're really a Christian, that will be seen in your works, in your actions. So he's setting the page up for us, right? He's, he's trying to show us what this looks like. And so he goes on in the very next verse to identify some of the genuine examples that we have. He uses Abraham as an example. How that Abraham's faith was real because God told Abraham to get up and go. And what did he do? He got up and went. But faith was not the only, or Abraham was not the only example that James used of genuine faith. Real faith. He used Rahab. And what was her action? Her action was when she took the two Israelite spies, hid them, and lied about it. It proved the genuineness of her faith. Let me read the verse to you, James 2.25. Likewise, James says, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works? That means her faith was real when we saw that she received the messengers, but then sent them out the other way? Did not we see that the faith of Abraham was real, genuine, that she was a true believer when she lied about knowing where the men were and hid them so they wouldn't get caught? So there it is. In addition to Hebrews chapter 11, James chapter 2 also confirms that this act on Rahab's part was proof that she was choosing to believe. She was choosing to believe in the God of Israel even though at this point she knew very little about him. Now we're going to come back to the lies in just a moment. But as soon as the king's men leave, we find Rahab going up to the roof to where the men had been hid. And here's what she says to the two Israelites. Here's how we know that she believed in the God of Israel. Let, let me read it to you. Joshua chapter 2. Some of you may already be there in Joshua chapter 2. Let me read verses 9, 10, 11. Here's what she says. She says to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted. For we have heard, Rahab said. And then she goes on to describe everything that they've heard about what God has done for Israel. They crossed the Red Sea out of Egypt and all these certain things. And then Rahab says, as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven, above and on earth, beneath. That right there was her declaration of faith. She is choosing to save the Israelites, not because she is afraid of what God may do to her if she doesn't save them, but because she genuinely believes that the God of Israel is the one true God and not only does she genuinely believe that, but she is genuinely committed to giving her life to him. It took a whole lot of risk to hide these men. She put her whole life on the line in order to protect them. This is real faith. She believed. She believed. And as a result of her faith, her soul was counted perfectly righteous in the sight of God. Perfectly righteous in the sight of God. Okay, pastor, I hear you, but what about the lies? Does this mean God was honoring her sin? 
that, that it's okay to sin in certain situations? It's, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting how we've seen this recently in our studies, isn't it? We just talked about this Wednesday night in 1 Samuel chapter 27. About David coming to King Achish and lying about who he was raiding. He told the king he was raiding his own people Israel. When in fact he was actually raiding the enemy towns that were against them. The whole thing was one massive deception. 16 months of David lying. We kept asking ourselves the question Wednesday night. Was he right or was he wrong? I'm not here to preach that message again. You should have been here yourself. It's interesting how this is coming up a lot. Did David do the right thing or the wrong thing? Is, is Rahab doing the right thing or the wrong thing? Well, let me just say this. Many, many, if not all the people listed in Hebrews chapter 11 were people who in various circumstances were deceptive and manipulative. Nearly all of them. Abraham, Jacob, Moses, they all lived deceptive lives. They, they all were liars at times. Now, that's not a justification or an excuse for us to go out and do the same. Because listen to me very carefully. God never approves of deception. Young people, God never approves of deception. It's tax season, mom and dad. God never approves of deception. In fact, the Bible says God hates lying. Lying's wrong because it's in complete opposition to his character and his holiness. And what is God's character? Truth, truth. God is the embodiment of truth. Yet, Rahab's first work of faith was a lie. How do we reconcile that? Let me just give you a few things to think about. I wrote these down in my notes just to help me. I wrote down, first of all, because of the depravity of our sin nature. That's all of our sin natures. Because of the depravity of our sin nature, even our best acts of righteousness are tainted by sin. Think about it. Even our best acts of righteousness are tainted by sin. Sin. Isaiah said our righteousness is like filthy rags. Even the good that we do are, if you will, salted by sin. Why is that? Because we live in a body of flesh that, yes, is free from the guilt of sin and the penalty of sin. But listen, these bodies are not yet free from the presence of sin. We still sin. You still sin. I still sin. And we will keep on sinning until we receive our glorified bodies in heaven. Now, when we come to faith in Christ, God changes our desires. Our desires is not to keep on sinning. No, our desire in the power of the Holy Spirit is to be like Jesus. But let's be honest. We will never fully be like him as long as we live in this sinful flesh. So that is why often in our lives, even the good deeds that we do are tainted by sin. Even good intentions. Even good intentions are mixed with the depravity of our sinful flesh. 
Now, I'm not here to cast judgment. Just like I'm not here to cast judgment on David for what he did. I told you the answer to that. Wednesday night, judge not lest you should be judged. How many of you are going to turn your family over if somebody knocks on your door this morning and says, hey, is your wife and kids here? I'm here to kill them. What are you going to say, yes or no? It'd be a lie to say, no, they're not here. That's the point. We're not God. We're not Jesus. Our flesh is always going to be bent toward sin. Always. So God's not approving this necessarily. He's not saying it's okay to sin in certain situations. He's just reminding us here that the depravity of our sin, even the best actions of our righteousness are tainted by sin. Let me give you this to think about too, and this will help all of us as we deal with each other in our sinful flesh. I wrote this down. We ought to be quick to find faith in a person's life and slow to judge the sin that God is still cleansing. Let me say that again. We ought to be quick to find faith in a person's life and slow to judge the sin that God is still cleansing in their life. That's usually opposite, isn't it? We're slow to find faith. We're slow to find faith. One of my favorite sermon clips I've ever, I've ever watched in my life, Alistair Begg is preaching about the crucifixion. And in, in this message, he talks about the man on the middle cross. And he talks about the thief on the other side of him, how that, how that he never went through a discipleship course. He was not even baptized. But as Alistair's preaching this medicine, he, he, he gives this illustration about how in that moment, on the same day Jesus died, the thief on the cross also died. But he woke up in heaven, and he says, imagine that scene when St. Peter meets him at the gate and says, okay, sir, now, now tell me, why are you here? Did, 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 you, did you go through discipleship? Did you, did you join a church? Were you baptized? Tell me about justification. Do you understand what justification is? And the whole illustration has Alistair wrapping up the sermon and says that the thief on the cross, all he could say is, I don't know why I'm here. I'm just here because the man on the middle cross said I could come. The man on the middle cross said I could come. Now, now how is it in our lives? In our lives, far too often, we are slow to find faith. We're slow to find faith in a person's life, but yet we are quick to judge the sin that God is still sanctifying in their life. Rahab, if you will, is a new convert. She hadn't been a believer very long at all. She was a new believer. Now, was her lies sin? Yes. But all she knows right now is that the God of those Israelite spies was the one true God. That's all she knew. That the, the God of the Israelites is the one true God, and she's going to do whatever she's got to do to help them, even if it means be deceptive. She's still learning what it means to follow God. She's still learning what it means to grow in holiness and righteousness. Let you and I also be slow in our judgment of people's sins that God is cleansing out of our lives. Let us be quick to find even the little faith, the little faith that may be sprouting. And then can I give you this thought before we go on to the second and the third point, which will be very much quicker. I wrote this down. A stumbling faith is better than no faith at all. Listen to me. Yes, she lied three times. Yes, she was a prostitute. And I don't know how long it took her to give that up. But a stumbling faith, a stumbling faith is better than no faith at all. 
Every Christian in this room is what Johnny Erickson Tata likes to call stumbling bumblers. We're all stumbling. We're all bumbling our way through life. Yet God chooses to work with us. Hey, this is wonderful news. God chooses to work with us not on the basis of our goodness, but on the basis of his grace. So I say to you this morning, those of you who are stumbling, stumble on. Those of you who are doing your best to get through, do your best to get through. Because it is better to have a stumbling faith than it is to have no faith at all. God loves you. He has saved you. He has given you the gift of faith. And it's going to take time for you to mature and grow and overcome the things that you keep stumbling through and bumbling through. But it's better to believe. It is better to believe than to not believe. That's what we see in Rahab. Let's not give her too hard of a time for lying. It's a new faith. It'll be like all of our faiths, a stumbling faith. But it's better than no faith at all. In fact, I look at Rahab and it's a reminder that faith is often found in unlikely places, isn't it? There is hope for people where we never dream of it. I'm talking about your child. There is hope for them, even though your hope is fading. There is hope for them. Your neighbor. Your co-worker, your, your mom, your dad, that, that one you love, your spouse. You want to see them come to Christ so badly, but it, but it feels like they're just, they're just never going to come through. I look at Rahab and I'm reminded there is hope for anyone, no matter where they are in life, no matter what they've come from, no matter what sin has them tangled up, there is hope for anyone in the grace of God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 21, He said this to the Pharisees, you know, those who were all buttoned up, those who had it all together. Those who were so clean and so good, they didn't even have to wear deodorant. They never stunk. I mean, they were just the perfect epitome of righteousness, so they and everybody else thought. But here's what Jesus had to say to those righteous church people. He said, assuredly, Matthew 21, 31, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you do. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots, they believe. They believe. That is the difference, friend. Rahab's on the list because she believed. Rahab's in the kingdom because she believed. If any of, I, any of us this morning make it, we make it because we believe. You see, there's no one too bad, too sinful, too ignorant, too far gone to be saved. And Rahab's faith reminds us of that. There is hope for every sinner, even with our imperfect, stumbling, and selfish faith. I say it again. God give Laurel a church full of Rahab. Rahab believed. And because she believed, right down number two, Rahab was spared. Rahab was spared. That's what 1131 teaches us. That's what Joshua tells us. Rahab let the two spies down by a scarlet rope outside of her window. And she tells them exactly where to go so that they would not be caught by the king and his men. The the men then tell her to leave that scarlet rope in place as a sign of their commitment to God in protecting them. And to make sure that she doesn't uncover their whereabouts. And if, and if she proves that faith in doing so, that, that they would be saved, and her and her family. 
And so it was, the day came for Israel to go against Jericho. And you know the story. We looked at it last Sunday in our study of this. But what we didn't read last time was what happened to Rahab and her family. Let me read it to you. Joshua chapter 6, verse 22. Here's what it says. Joshua said, this is after the walls of Jericho came down. Okay? They've marched around it. They blew the trumpets. They screamed. They came down. They come in. They take the plunder. And while they're doing so, Joshua said to the two spies who had spied out the country, I want you to go into the harlot's house. And from there, bring out the woman and all that she has as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city, that is Jericho, and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of God. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's house, and all that she had. So now she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. It's a beautiful picture of what happens when we come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Rahab believed. Rahab was spared. Everything else in Jericho died. But Rahab and her family were given life and freedom. That's what happens when we come to Christ. When we come to Christ believing what he has done for us on the cross through his sacrifice, those who believe in Jesus are spared from eternal death, from the wrath of God, from his judgment to come. It's a beautiful picture of what faith does. Faith causes us to believe. Faith spares us from the wrath and judgment to come. And then write down finally, number three, Rahab not only believed and was spared, but Rahab was honored. Rahab was honored. Now think about what happened. She believed, she was spared, and the first way in which God honored her was by allowing her to come and live with God's covenant people the rest of her life. She wasn't a Jew. She was a Gentile. And the very last verse, verse 25 of Joshua, 6, Joshua chapter 6 says, So she dwells in Israel to this day. What an honor. God could, God could have easily said, you know what, I'm grateful that you believed in me, but why don't you take you and your family, even though I spared you, and y'all go, go on out and create a new life for yourself. Uh, God's people are going to continue going this direction. No, no, not at all. He didn't exclude her. He included her and her whole family within God's family. I know you're a Gentile. I know you weren't born a Jew. But the God of the Gentiles, or God of the Jews is the God of the Gentiles if they come to him with the same faith. So he says to her, come, come. Just live with my covenant people the rest of your life. What an honor. What an honor that God affords you and I to come and live with his people all of our days because of our mutual faith in God. Oh, that's not the only thing that God did for her. But then you, you begin to read a little bit and you find out that she gets married, which is great because we see sanctification starting to take place in her life. She's cleaning up the old life. She's putting away the prostitution ways. She settles down. She gets a family. She, she's learning what it means to honor God with all of these choices. But it wasn't that she just got married. She actually marries a prince, a prince of Judah. She becomes a princess. The prince's name, Salmon, just like you eat on the grill, all right? That's exactly who he was. Salmon, that's who she marries. That's her husband. 
She becomes a princess. It gets even better than that. Not only is she allowed to live with God's covenant people, she marries a prince, becomes a princess, but then God uses her as an ancestress to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We go to Matthew chapter 1 to see that. Matthew chapter 1, let me read it to you. Uh, Austin sang it to us in our Christmas musical. You remember that, all the begats? Well, I'm not going to sing it to you, but I will read it to you. Matthew chapter 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Abraham. Here's what he says. Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat Judah. Judah begat Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Another story in itself. Perez begat Hezron. Hezron begat Ram. Ram begat Aminadab. Aminadab begat Nashon. Nashon begat Salmon. Salmon begat Boaz by Rahab. What's the big deal? Oh, follow me. Boaz. Boaz begat Obed by Ruth. Obed begat Jesse. Jesse begat David. And David, David is the one who gives us the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, what an amazing picture. Rahab the prostitute. Rahab the harlot, the lady of the night. She becomes a believer who is a Gentile, now allowed to live with God's covenant people, who married a prince. She became a princess and now an ancestress of Jesus Christ. And then we open up Hebrews chapter 11, and she is honored as an example for us. Be like her. Follow her faith, lest you faint in your own mind. Rahab's story is about a young woman who went from the house of shame to the hall of fame. How does that happen? Grace. Grace. And some of you are thinking this morning, I I just don't know, Pastor. You You don't know about my life. Well, I don't have to know about your life. Here's the thing. God already does. And he still wants you. He still wants you. Yeah, I'm talking about you who are living in the proverbial house of shame. You'd be so embarrassed if people knew the depth of your heart. But I want you to know that God loves you so much that just like Rahab, he is ready to change your life if you will just believe him there is no one absolutely no one who is too far out of reach for God's grace I say it again God's grace is open to anyone who will receive it to anyone who will believe and let's not forget the purpose of Hebrews the purpose of Hebrews was to encourage people to press on lest they turn around and quit. And the writer's saying, look at all of these people in the hall of faith. Rahab, who even when she was the only one surrounded in a city full of vile, wicked, anti-God people, she still believed. And she had the courage to honor God with her life. And God saved her for it. 
That's what the writer's saying. Thank God for second chances and third chances and fourth chances. Thank God that he redeems the most broken. Thank God he saves sinners. And praise be to God that he changes lives and helps us to press on in courage and boldness for him when we simply commit our lives in faith to God. For God so loved the world. You take the world out and you replace it with your name. For God so loved Jonathan that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, whoever, whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into this world to condemn you. God sent his son into this world to save you. And he saves those who believe. This is the faith of Rahab. And it can be the faith of your life if you will simply turn to Jesus. Let's stand together for prayer this morning.